I want to, I want to know for certainty what it is and how it works so that I can harness and use it to the best of, of my ability. But it just slips out of my grasp like Hebel. The more I reach for this concrete understanding of prayer, the more I find myself eluded by it. I like to understand how things work. I like to know how things relate to one another. I want to be able to understand how things work together in a big picture view. I enjoy slowly and methodically dwelling on an idea or concept, learning all I can about it, and then coming up here to tell you what I've learned. I want to know the answers to all the why questions. There's so many things in my life and in your life that do not comport with the way we think things should be working. I don't have that story for you this morning. I'm still lacking that insight to share with you. I was speaking openly with one of my friends earlier this week as this date was approaching closer and closer. And uh, I was asking him for help, a little wisdom about prayer. Uh, it's good for you to have friends that are smarter than you, okay? You need some of those. If you don't have them, go find them, okay? You need someone that you can call when you're in the middle of uh, not knowing what to do and say, what do I do? So I called up my friend who is a philosopher and pastor, and I was like, just tell me what this is all about so that I can understand it. And as we began to speak on the topic of prayer, I found myself talking more about what was really bothering me right now. See, we've weathered a few challenges at CTA in the past few weeks, but none more pressing, no, none more present on my mind than that of the status of my colleague and my friend, Connor Mason, our music teacher. For those of you that do not know, uh, we don't know what's wrong. We get new updates from day to day, but he's been in and out of the hospital and all that I know is that it's serious and we're not quite sure what it is. Maybe there was a new update put out last night. I didn't check Facebook, so maybe we know something as of this morning, but as of the last time I checked, I'm sitting quite uncomfortably with all of this. Every morning in staff meeting, we all get together and we have prayer. We have worship together. And every morning, we pray for our music teacher, Connor. It's a quick meeting. We have it every day. It's a quick prayer. And we also have it at the beginning of all of our classes. I found myself explaining all this to my friend in an exasperated tone. I finally revealed to him that I don't understand what we're doing. Why are we praying? Is it helping? Does God not know what's going on? Are we informing him? 
Is he unable to help or intervene unless we all ask? How many of us need to ask? How often do we need to ask? I want to know. Tell me what button I need to press, what lever I need to turn, what thing I need to pull. I'll, I'll do it. I just want to see my friend come back to school and walk down the hallway again. But instead, each day, I hear another update on his health that makes me sit with my doubt. Am I even allowed to say that? Can a pastor or teacher stand in front of you and say something like that? I certainly hope so, or maybe I'm misunderstanding the point of belonging to a faith community. Paul, my friend, was trying to mention some smart things that I lack the wisdom to be able to share with you this morning, but what he said reminded me of a lesson that we learned earlier the school year in Ecclesiastes. He reminded me that we crave certainty, but we are meant to live lives of faith. That is so uncomfortable. But we are not alone in this discomfort. And that is the thing that I brought to you this morning. Not the neat packaged bow that I usually have. I'm not following, I'm not following the, uh, the homiletic style that Dr. Williams taught me. We are going to read Psalm 73 together this morning and see just what sort of wisdom can be gleaned from reading through. Are you with me? Let's go. Let's put it up on the board. Psalm 73, verse 1. And before we read it, the irony has not escaped me, but let's bow our heads and pray for a moment. Dear Lord, we are going to try to engage with the text this morning and understand what it is that we are supposed to do about our doubt. Show up in a mighty way in the way that you have in the past for us, show up again in this space and fill it with your Holy Spirit and help us to learn and understand more about who you are and what you have called us to do in this world, in this community, in this church, for we pray in Christ's name, in Jesus' name, amen. So he starts off, the psalmist, he says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. We've, we've heard this mentioned many times before in our church context. In fact, you, you, you've heard God is good. And then the speaker says all the time and you say, yeah, see, we know it. We've heard this. We've heard this many times before. He says, surely God is good to Israel. He starts off by mentioning how good God is. God is good to those that are following him. We already expect this. We already know it. Of course, God shows up for those that serve him. What does it really mean, though, that, that God is good? Is this, is God is good, is that just a description? Is it, is it, is it some sort of ontological statement about who God is? Because that's not how it really works in the Bible. When, God, when we say that God is good, it's an action that he takes. So we're looking for something that he's doing, not just a status of his being. Are you understanding what I'm saying? But he's not really sure if he can buy this statement anymore. He's not. Look at the next verse. But as for me, 
my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Uh, during the summers, I get to spend time at uh, Walla Walla University's Rosario Marine Research Laboratory Station. Did I say all the right words? Um, and I get to work as like a chaplain at what is only uh, what I can only describe to you if you have not seen it is like what happens when you take a university and a summer camp and mash them together. It's a beautiful experience. Um, my first summer there, or maybe it was my second, it doesn't matter, you wouldn't have known the difference. One of my summers there, um, one of the students invited me to go rock climbing with him. And this is not an unusual uh, or unexpected occurrence, it happens quite often. It seems as though everyone that goes to Wallowa owns a Subaru and is filled with rock climbing equipment. It was news to me, I'm glad that you guys understood this already. Uh, it's true, maybe not 100%, but probably 95% of them are all, all rock climbers. Even the ones that aren't rock climbers are rock climbers. And so it's a thing that happens quite often. They have all the equipment, they got the helmets, they got the gear, they have the special shoes and the special clothing and there's all the, the, the different things and the ropes and the, uh, all the stuff that you need in order to go and do this. It's not just something that you do on a whim. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of skill to do this. And he was inviting me to go and I was like, I will go, but I am not climbing that rock. I will, I will watch you do this. Cause he found some sort of rock that does where you like, you come, you come up to the rock and then it like goes out and then comes back. I don't feel, I'm not gonna, I being upside, it's not my thing. I'm not gonna do it. You're not gonna find, I'm not Spider-Man. I'm sorry, I'm a lot of things, but that's not one of them, understand? I know my limits. And so they plan their route. I listen to the students as they get together and they look at the rock and they, they think about how they're gonna do this. They, they plan the way that they're gonna do it. And the psalmist has done the same thing here. Following God, believing in God, is a difficult thing to do. I expected at least one head nod or an amen, but okay, I guess I'm alone in that. I said, following God is a difficult thing to do. Anyone? Okay, thank you, all right, we are awake. Good, they plan out their route. The psalmist planned out his route and it did not go as expected. You make a really good plan, but you have to be ready to improvise. It's the same tension that we have between members, well, I say tension, but the same uh, uh, discussion that we have between staff members at CTA. Some of us are planners and some of us are improvisers. And truth be told, you really need both. You gotta have a good plan and you gotta be ready to throw that plan out when it's not working, right? This is what it's like, this is what it's like to walk the path that God has put out in front of us. It's difficult sometimes. And he says, he said, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped and I had nearly lost my foothold. Can you catch the metaphor? It's so beautiful. The English teacher in me is coming out for a moment. That is an amazing metaphor. He nearly lost his foothold. Well, why? He goes on in the next verse to describe the process of his slip or his almost fall, the reason why he almost lost his footing. Take a look. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the pro when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The word here is shalom, the the completeness, the wholeness. The the they're over here experiencing this peace. 
I envied the arrogant when I saw their prosperity. Have you ever seen the wicked prosperous? There had better be a head nod somewhere in the room. Yes, you have seen the wicked be prosperous. And it's made you step back sometimes and scratch your head and wonder, well, why am I over here doing all these things that I'm supposed to be doing? And I'm suffering and in pain and they're getting the good life. They're getting the good life. And I'm the one over here serving the Lord. If you have not wondered that at this point in your life, I promise you it's a coming for you probably several times in your lifetime. What is the point of following God if the wicked prosper and I end up with nothing? They don't just get away with it. They get the very good life. They get the shalom. He's exploring the reason for his doubt. And so starts the beginning of his doubting his doubt. Follow with me. They have no struggles, verse 4. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. They're, they're, therefore, their pride is their necklace. Oh, such good language. They're, they clothe themselves with violence. Come on. For their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and they speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Look at them prosper. Why wouldn't you follow the way of the wicked then? Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up the waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High God know anything? Do you hear the doubt? This is where our doubt comes from. He continues in verse 12. This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. They get the good life and it doesn't make sense. Verse 13, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and I have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. He has suffered real loss. This author, this psalmist has, has suffered real loss. And I want, uh, 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 and if I want the good life, should I be like the wicked? Is it worth it? That's what he's asking. Is it worth it? He isn't convinced that following God is gonna give a good payoff. The wicked get shalom and I get punishment and pain every single day. He has had some sort of experience that has caused him to reconsider his beliefs. And he's not specific about what it is and thankfully so, which means we can all read into it our own issues. His doubt isn't just from a doctrinal concern, it's a lived experience for him. For us too, doubts come from ideas, from relationships and life circumstances. He has had an experience that has caused him to question his heart. In his mind, he knows what the truth is, but his lived experience is telling him something that doesn't harmonize with that knowledge. We are mind, body, spirit creatures. It all goes together. The specifics are left ambiguous. It can't be anything, it can, sorry, it can be anything and everything. You can have doubt 
You can have doubt in, and here we go, someone in the room is going to get uncomfortable. You can have doubt in the historicity of the Bible or the inspiration of the scriptures, human sexuality, the role of a particular group of people in preaching the gospel, whatever it is, we're made to think and feel something, sorry, made, made to think and feel sometimes that there is no such place for questions. And the psalmist shows us that these questions can actually be the source of strengthening our faith. It's the thing that we should be talking about, but we're being closed off about it. Because faith is not the opposite of reason. That makes each crisis of faith that we have an opportunity to learn and grow we may even have we we may even one day find ourselves thanking God for a particular crisis that we have lived through. I know that I have at certain points. I'm not having that prayer at this particular moment. If you are not quite there yet, don't worry. I'm not quite ready to shout those words of gratitude on my current crisis. It is an unpleasant experience, and in general, we try our very best to avoid unpleasantness. Look at what he says in verse 3. He is for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He is jealous of the life of the wicked. He feels entitled to more since he's been good but really he is mad because he wants to live the life of the wicked. Let's skip down to verse 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. And so the jealousy that he feels towards the wicked people, whoever they are, wherever they are, whatever it is, has corrupted his heart. 23, yet I am also with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And after you will take me into glory, whom I, whom have I in heaven but you? Where else can I go and put my trust and faith? There is no other FDIC-insured uh, bank for your, for your faith. And so, go, uh, and so as I go about the process of acknowledging my own doubt, it leads me to consider its origin and because and causes me to start finding issues with my own doubt. I find doubt in my doubt. And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but my God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish you destroy all those who are unfaithful to you, but as for me, it is good for me to be near you. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell you all of your deeds. Paul Miller, in a book called A Praying Life, talks about the story of the Canaanite woman who comes to Jesus begging him for help with, his with her daughter. That's the context of this quote that I want to read to you from his book. If Jesus were a magic prayer machine, 
he'd have healed the woman's daughter instantly. And we would have discovered, we would not have discovered her feisty creative spirit. Likewise, Jesus' ambiguity with us creates the space not only for him to emerge, but us as well. If the miracle comes too quickly, there is no room for discovery, for relationship. With both this woman and us, Jesus is engaged in a divine romance, wooing us to himself. The waiting that is the essence of faith provides the context for relationship. Faith and relationship are interwoven in dance. Everyone talks about how prayer is relationship, but often what people mean is having warm fuzzies with God. Nothing wrong with warm fuzzies, but relationships are far richer and more complex. You may have your doubts. You may doubt the will of God. You may doubt the power of God. You may doubt the love of God or even the existence of God. And I'm going to tell you this morning that that's okay because our doubt leads us back to him. We are so afraid to mention our doubts. We are so afraid to think these things, but the psalmist shows us how doubt must be acknowledged because it is the thing that strengthens our faith. What will be your reaction to your crisis of faith? Will you hide it away? Will you cover it up? Or will you go to God with it? Grace and peace to you as you consider what to do with your crisis. Elevate. Grace and peace.